Get ready for an exhilarating journey with Chris, the extraordinary host of Coffee on the Couch, as he brings his magnetic interview style to our cherished collaboration with positive news for you. From riveting conversations with talented artists and visionary photographers to engaging dialogues with individuals bearing compelling life stories, Chris's unique approach infuses every episode with a captivating blend of warmth and positivity. As an associate of positive news for you, Coffee on the Couch, is your passport to the uplifting realms of human experience. Tune in and join the celebration of diverse voices, inspiring narratives, and the unwavering spirit of optimism right here on Positive News For You. Today's guest is someone Chris has had a connection with for over a decade now and has kept the channels of communication open through the years. He's not just a friend, he's a brother from across the aisle, figuratively speaking, of course. Our guest is a Messianic Jewish man, someone who has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in that region of the world. He is also an avid supporter of all things Israel. But don't let that confuse you, he's just as much of an American as anyone else you'll meet today. Stay tuned as we hear perspectives from a Jewish point of view. Coffee on the couch will be starting in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and we're live. Shalom and welcome, dear listeners, to another enlightening episode of Coffee on the Couch. I'm thrilled to have you join us today as we delve into a topic of great significance. But before we embark on this insightful journey, let's begin with a customary Messianic Jewish greeting. In the spirit of peace and harmony, we extend to you the warm embrace of Shalom, a word that beautifully encapsulates our hope for serenity and completeness in your life. So grab your favorite cup of coffee, settle into the couch, and let's explore together. Welcome, Kenny. Um, and if you had anything to add to the Jewish greeting, the Messianic Jewish greeting, we can, uh, we can, you can add your part at this time. Sure. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good talking with you. And uh, yeah, Shalom okay. Alaikum. You know, God, God be with you and everybody is listening. And hopefully today we'll... Uh, We'll just all benefit from God's word, you know, uh, much more than we ever thought was possible. Um, so yep, I, I, uh, I agree. Yeah. So I, um, if I could just, you know, respond to that before we jump into things, uh, you yep, know, just thanks definitely. again for asking. Me, thanks again for asking me to uh, have coffee on the couch with you and discussing God's word. And uh, yep. you know, today what I'd like to do, what I'll be attempting to relay to you and your is how we look at and understand the events unfolding today in a first century messianic perspective um when these words of the bible were spoken you know but how would they have understood them you know in, in the years of the believers of first it was um for example you know you rightly expressed that we should all embrace shalom and peace and, uh, you know, that's found in Matthew 5, 9 as well. You know, it says, how blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called the sons of God. You know, and as you alluded to, police, uh, um, uh, shalom is uh, a, c a completeness in peace, um, you know, wholeness. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then again, in Isaiah, the first century believers 
would undoubtedly say, when they heard these words spoken, you know, Matthew 5, 9, a blessed those who make peace, mm -hmm. uh, they probably would have thought of Isaiah, like maybe 52, 7, uh, where it says, how beautiful mm -hmm. feet of him who brings good news. So, you know, typically this is entailed, uh, this entailed a, mess a messenger, a, a shliach, that sent mm -hmm. a man ahead that, you know, was coming back from a war, declaring the news of a victory. Hopefully, that's what they were hoping, looking for. You know, the good news is uh, this is a sample of a microcosm of what was to come. Uh, when the Messiah will be the one standing on Mount Zion declaring victory over evil and the good news mm -hmm. of God's on the whole earth. Um, and uh, sum up the introduction with uh, just saying Zechariah 14.4, you know, uh, this is the shalom that mm -hmm. he'll be speaking. Yeah, Yeshua. Um, on that day, his feet will stand out of alms. And then Adonai will be king over the whole world. And on that day, Adonai will be the only one. And his name will be the only name. We won't have, you know, all these different religions. It'll be peace. It'll be unity. Um, you know, that's by heaven. It says, uh, proclaiming shalom, peace continues, bringing good news of good things, announcing salvation, deliverance from their enemies, and saying to Zion, and that is, you know, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, in Israel, your God is king. So, lastly, when, when there is, oh, there will be peace with all men and with God. That's why it's so important today that, you know, uh, what's going on, that we understand that there is coming and that we have to strive for this. The ushering in of the Messiah, the Jewish slash Christian Messiah, is coming to establish world peace. Contrary to, unfortunately, Islam, it is taught that war must come to bring them. The Mahdi in Islam, the 12th Imam, uh, this belief is going to popularity in the view of the world in his present trouble, that they have to go to war and and make everybody a believer of Islam in order, you know, uh, and defeat the enemies, the infidels, the unbelievers. The Mahdi in Islam, the 12th Alam, this belief which has taken on popularity in the world view present troubles, it's taught that when war is waged against the infidels and unbelievers, that the Messiah will come. He said to be a descendant of Prophet Muhammad, this Messiah, will appear shortly before the prophet Isa, which is Jesus Christ. This is the, the segue into what we're going to talk about. And then he will lead Muslims into the entire world. And by, by chance, anyways, they say when Yeshua comes, when Jesus Christ comes, that he'll announce to everybody that he was a liar, and that he's not, there is no son of God. And there is, so there's a lot of things to uh, like in the Bozeman Chronicles, it's a newspaper in southern Montana. It's got a lot followers. It says, uh, some say the Quran does not say kill the infidels of unbelievers. Yet, the Quran, translated by Dawood in Penguin Classic Series, says, when the sacred months are over, slay the idolaters wherever you find them. That's found in Surah 9.5 of the Quran. When you meet the unbelievers in the battlefield, Break off their heads. Surah 47.4. That sounds right. All right. Strike off the heads. All right. So from the Quran. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, 
That's yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's uh, uh, that's pretty uh pretty intense for sure, but that's uh yeah, that's what the word says, right? Yes, sir, yeah, that's that's part of the problem <laughs> is you know what we it's hard to have peace when you have when you have one side that wants peace and the other side that does not. You know? And um Yeah. They're like uh death to America, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, death to America and everything, and it's a very difficult thing. Um you know, how yeah, how do we know yeah. we're not when they're passing out candy and sharing in the streets death to America in Gaza during nine eleven and uh, death to Israel before the blood even dried on the people's slaughtered. It was yeah. horrible. Um recently we have seen this as, as yeah. Muslim Israel were slain as well. Muslims will often kill each other. And um, this is justified yep. in the eye of strict Islamists by the Quran, as quoted in Surah 476. Who are the idolaters and unbelievers and infidels, mm -hmm. he says. So here we see a stark contrast. The prophets between the Judean Bible and uh, the Christian Judean Bible profess peace to be right with God. You know, uh, but verses yeah. in some popular things of Islam teach the opposite, unfortunately. Kill unbelievers, including Muslims. We've seen Muslims killed, too, mm. in, in Israel. But with yep. that, I'm, I will, you know, uh, it's, it would just, um, just leave it to you, sir. Um, okay. All right. So, what the uh, introduction? How would you describe the current situation in Israel, particularly in light of the intense conflict between Israel and Hamas in 2023 this year, as we come to a close? Uh, that's a that's a very good question, and it's definitely getting a lot of uh, exposure, and there's a lot of debate about that. Uh, most people today are engaged in debating yeah. the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Debating the facts of whether Israel yeah. has a right to land, or even the rights to exist, um, these are, these things are very easily established right. um, by looking at Israel's clear historical presence in the land for thousands of years, um, which is supported by lots of archaeological facts. Um, but contrary to that, mm. um, if we were going, if we went to like per se, the Palestinian Museum. Um, and we looked for any archaeological, there's not one archaeological find there, not one artifact. All they have is articles yeah. from pro-Palestinian supporters all over the walls, you know, because they, they don't have a history in the land, you know, not as a, a nation, not as a government or anything. So, you know, this has all been brought out, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, and uh, unfortunately meaning that all these facts have been brought out, but they're not really resonating with people that don't want to hear it, you know, and they will refute it. And they just, so that's why, you know, what I'd like to do is discuss the, um, you know, therefore, you know, today I'll knock it down that road. Um, I'll try not to. And yeah. uh, as yeah. you seem to have fallen on deaf ears and stubborn hearts. So what I would rather address here today and is why this is happening. What is the root of the Israeli-Arab okay. conflict? Yeah. And the underlying spiritual problem that promotes these lies and anti-Semitism. Yep. Uh, 
don't get me wrong, I do believe there is much value in understanding the truth of why Israel has a God-given right to the land as well as a legal right to the land. Mm -hmm. But when we are dealing with people that refuse to see the truth and do not believe or fear in the God of Bible, of the Bible, the scriptures don't matter to them, then we need need to go to the root of the problem. Only yep. then it'll make sense of the conflict and not be drawn into appeasement. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, Chris, of uh, you know, how you would how I yeah. would describe the current situation in Israel I guess simply I would just say that it's a fight between good and evil, right and wrong, God and Satan. And I'll expand much more on this um, in the following question. It's basically, all right, whose civilians are going to die? Is it our civilians or their civilians? Um, if we just wait, then they will continue to kill all of the Israeli civilians until they're gone. Yeah. Um, but if they can just pinpoint accuracy, and they have been, you know, um, I'm sure there has been some collateral damage, you know, and some people that yep. didn't deserve to die that might have died. But, um, you know, they've they've rooted out most of the leaders right. and they and they've killed. It's estimated more than half of Hamas already. So they have to continue. They have they have to just uh, you can't live yeah. in a country with constant shelling and and uh in hate it's, it's nobody would nobody oh, would no. handle this no country yeah. so but i'm just i'm just speaking the obvious no no sure can't um so uh getting into the international response Despite international pressure, the U.S. has reinforced its opposition to a ceasefire, um, at least at the time of creating these questions. How, from a Messianic Jewish viewpoint, might this stance be interpreted, and what impact could it have on the resolution of the conflict? Well, as they've known, they were actually in a ceasefire on October 7th, and they broke that one. And I think the world is kind of hopefully smelling the coffee right now. The coffee on the couch, right, Chris? Yep. But uh, smelling the coffee right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. even just recently with the ceasefire, what happened? They broke the ceasefire. There's never been a time when they didn't. You know, they went in and they they uh, yeah. they killed three innocent people. These are, very, you know, yep. school teachers, yep. you know, are very innocent people. Um and it just uh it's it's truly tragic so yeah. for the u.s to to reinforce you know uh or anybody to say we need to have a, a ceasefire that just emboldens them and gets them to regroup and this has been the if we don't learn this history this lesson from history yes. then we're doomed to fail and israel can't afford to do that right now they need to complete the mission they need to follow through. Yeah, really. Yeah. That's the resolution yep. of the conflict, yep. is, is uh, rooting out the evil. And there's, yeah, there is certainly a lot to that in the process of that. And um, I don't think that I get into it in the questions, but uh, speaking of resolution to conflict, um, what are your thoughts on a two-state uh, 
So two-party state or a two-state solution with the uh, with the Palestinians. Yeah. No, actually, I'm trying to pull up a, a verse right now. Um, the the two-state... Two um, let's see. Okay. Two-state solution sounds like something that has always been on the t on the the drawing board, um, and has been rejected by the yep. Arabs. Um, it was, and actually, the Bible says that there will be a dividing up of the land, and that God is very angry with the nations for dividing up His land. So yep. I do think that this is going to happen. Um, I think it's in Joel. Yeah, I think it's in writing my yeah. land. Trying to pull it up here. Uh, yeah, and Joel. Let me see. Joel three two, I believe it says. Trying to pull it up here. Uh, well, see, there's different scriptures about this um, because the Jewish scriptures don't line up with the Christian scriptures all the time. But uh, actually, God says that he is angry with the nations for dividing up his land. So it will be divided, but it's not the same. Yeah. And I think that's also part of the plan of the Antichrist when he comes, is that he's going to do this false this false piece of d dividing the land. This yep. is speculation, but it's very good speculation because these things are going to happen. But we got to put all the pieces to put all the pieces together, and it seems like a very oh, yeah. logical, you know, um, uh, assertion is that the land will be divided. The Antichrist is going to be risen up. Yep. You know, the Anti Messiah, and he is going to have a false peace after three and a half years. He's gonna uh, start. It. He's gonna renege all his promises. And what do we see? Don't we see that right now, with Hamas, and with all all, all the all the yep. There hasn't been too. one peace treaty that the Arab countries or Hamas, and they are Arabs. You know, they came from Syria, they came from Lebanon, they come from Egypt. There has never been any Palestinians as uh, as a nation. You know, there's never been a government. There's never been a people. Um, it was something yeah. that was created by Yasser Arafat, you know, and that was emboldened by him. And of course, as you know, the uh, mm. the the Philistine people, uh, the Palestinians got their name from the Philistine people, although they're not driven, they're not direct from them. If you do a DNA test from them, they're all going to be Arabs. Yeah. Not from so um, back. <laughs> Rack. It's um, yeah. It seems like there's going to be a lot of things unfolding, you know. And the two state solution is not a solution. Yeah. No, no. But I think it is something that we will see eventually. Um, but it's not going to be the solution that neither they think it is, and it's not the solution that. Most people think it'll be. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to get into for sure about the concept of. You know, we probably should have started off by praying. The prophetic signs that we'll see in oh. Israel and the things we see popping off, and sure, preparing, yeah. and 
Um, so I think there's a lot there. Uh, and we have a particular question that's focusing on biblical prophet, biblical prophecies, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that one. It's about two sections down, two questions down. Um, the question five, U.S.-Iran communication. The U.S. has taken steps to communicate directly with Iran amid the ongoing conflict. From a Messianic Jewish perspective, how might this communication factor into the broader geopolitical dynamics in the Middle East? Hmm. Well, it definitely is not because, uh, you know, I don't know what the communications entail, what they're doing, but uh, you really, yep. you, they, they are the source of everything, as you know. They, they get the fund, the people that fund Iranists, fund uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, all of the terrorist organizations. They get their money from them, and of course, as you know, the U.S. has helped them with that because uh, this the Biden administration has given you know uh -huh. billions. I believe it was six billion dollars worth of uh, worth of funds to them that enabled them to allow Hamas to build the tunnels and so forth. So communication with them. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, yep. I don't know what they're trying to communicate with them because it, it seems like the only thing that, that they can communicate is force. That's the only thing that they want. You know, yeah. you know, they, they don't respect anything else over there. Um, they are the axis of evil over there right now. Iran. Yeah. So I just don't know why they're talking to them. Uh, I know that they're, there's a place called the Straits of Hormuz in the Persian Gulf, and Iran is uh, Iran is out there threatening. Okay. Yeah, I think it's about a 12-mile stretch. It's a bottleneck where one-third to one-fifth of all of the world's oil passes through. And this is why we have American ships, yeah. fleets, and Navy ships. They've always been there, but now they, they're even more... Uh, Profound. There's a greater presence mm. out there of American uh, Navy ships because we're trying to make yep. sure that they don't close off that little bottleneck in the Persian Gulf. Yeah, that'd be and disaster. then the whole world will go into economic disaster because you couldn't get access to any uh, oil. So I just don't know. I don't know what good it is right now. You know, uh, to talk to them. Uh, you know, yep. when we had somebody, and I wanted to get political, but we had, you know, Trump in office. He was able to not put us in a war because people respected that he doesn't mess around. And unfortunately, right now, people are, have been enabled because, in addition to the money that we've been feeding them, billions of dollars, six billion yep. dollars, um, when we left. Afghanistan, they left $7 billion worth of military equipment, which is being used against Israel and, and, and us in the future, I'm sure, if we, if we, uh, on that road. So, um, yeah, so I guess I don't know what to say about that other than, uh, yeah, you know, good yeah. luck to them. I hope that they're, they're making some good communications 
to resolve this, but it seems like it's going the other direction. You know, they just, they, they're so, um, Yemen and Iran sponsoring them has been bombing, you know, ships out there. They, they took a ship, a cargo ship, and we got it back. Um, they're shooting down all kinds of drones that are being sent over by Iran, you know, um, there's not, not much yeah. more I can yeah, say no, about I, that. I think so. Uh, you what? Yeah, no, I just think that uh, Iran is going to start taking a, a more prominent position yep. in this war right now. It's a proxy war. Everybody's doing their dirty work. But I think sooner or later they're going to have to come out of the uh, woodwork and uh, they're going to be, they're going to, it's going to get to a yeah. point where they are going to be engaged in a full, full-scale war. Yeah, I think you so. Know, with Israel and the U.S. If this doesn't stop, I think so. And it, there's a lot of stuff preparing to be on that principle. Um, that's that's much. So, speaking of which, the complexity of the situation, considering the multifaceted nature of the conflict, with political, humanitarian. And security implications. How would you, from a messianic standpoint, characterize the complexity of the current situ situation? Okay. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, well, you know, as mentioned prior, the nature of yep. this conflict—it's born in a, the spiritual realm. Uh, it's for the powers of evil against God and His yep. representatives of Himself are the Jewish people, the Israelis. Uh, that's why there's, you know, so much, uh, there's so many attacks against Israel. So from a Messianic Jewish standpoint, the political, humanitarian mm -hmm. ramifications were mm -hmm. to be expected in the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, that said, you know, there is no other nation on earth, like I said, that takes the pains mm -hmm. as Israel has to avoid the civilian casualties. Uh, we've not known any nations that would continue to supply food, water, electricity to a sworn <laughs> enemy that, you know, yeah. simply comes out and says, we want you dead, but you've yep. got to keep feeding yep. us and give us water. You know, and, um, no, but the world holds Israel to a different standard. Uh, so the implications of uh, the mm -hmm. multifaceted mm -hmm. conflict is a spiritual one. And, you know, we have to identify yeah, sure. this as a spiritual one and not try to figure it out of uh, giving away land yeah. because they're not going to stop until right. Satan has control, right. which he's not going to get. Not to mention all the uh, army equipment and whatnot that they, uh, okay. the current administration left behind for those terrorist groups such as Hamas and the Hezbollah. So, um, so this, uh, this next question, actually right. my favorite question, uh, out of these, um, biblical prophecies, transitioning to the connection with biblical prophecies. How, from a Messianic Jewish perspective, do you interpret the belief that the events in Israel may be indicative of, quote-unquote, the last days and the fulfillment of prophecies? 
And now, a word about a coffee company we're an affiliate to. Fight Coffee If you'd like to know how you can fight human trafficking simply by drinking your morning brew, listen until the end of this intermission clip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Fellow coffee enthusiasts and those curious to discover the hidden truths of the coffee world, today we're unraveling a well-kept secret. Welcome to the world of Fight Coffee, where they're about to change the way you think about coffee roasts. Let me ask you something. When you think of a strong, bold cup of coffee, what roast comes to mind? Many of us immediately picture a dark roast, believing it to be the most robust and high-octane option out there. But what if I told you that there's a twist to this perception? In the world of coffee, it's a little-known fact that light roast coffee actually contains more caffeine inherently than in stark roast counterparts. Yes, you heard me right. Light roast coffee is where the caffeine action is, and Fight Coffee is here to prove it. Now, let's talk about one of their exceptional offerings, the Costa Rican Light Roast. This coffee is an absolute revelation, boasting the brilliant, zesty lemon characteristics of a great Costa Rican coffee. But here's the twist. It's balanced with a fruity sweetness, thanks to the percentage of fruit allowed to dry on the bean. It's smooth, it's light, and it's a classic Costa Rican coffee with a flavor profile that will leave you astonished. This coffee challenges the common misconception that darker equals stronger. The truth is, the roast level doesn't determine caffeine content. It's the inherent characteristics of the beans. Light roast coffee lets the natural flavors shine, giving you a cup that's not just about caffeine, but about pure coffee essence. Fight Coffee invites you to experience this revelation for yourself. Brew a cup of their Costa Rican light roast, and you'll discover a world of zesty, fruity delight that's packed with energy, giving you the perfect start to your day. But Fight Coffee is about more than just great coffee. They're dedicated to making a difference. With every sip, you're supporting their mission to combat human trafficking, one of the most pressing global issues of our time. So head to their website and explore the hidden world of light roast coffee it's more than just a flavor journey, it's a shift in perception. In the show notes, you'll find all the links and information you need to f support Fight Coffee. And stay tuned, because we'll be partnering with Fight Coffee as part of our affiliate marketing collaboration. Until next time, keep brewing, keep sipping, and keep challenging your coffee beliefs. This is Chris with Coffee on the Couch. Signing off. Enjoy your coffee, folks. Thanks for listening. If you found value in the mission of Fight Coffee, click the link Purchase Some Delicious Coffee. And remember, use my affiliate code, COC. Thanks. Goodbye for now. Don't think we forgot to tell you the secret of fighting human trafficking through your morning brew. 
All right, are you ready? Are you listening? Good. All that's necessary is to purchase your desired brew of coffee from the coffee company. By doing so, 100% of the profits go to already established anti-trafficking organizations. They do the hard work so you can do the easy work. Enjoy your cup of coffee this morning and have the peace of mind that when you buy your morning brew from Fight Coffee, you may not have left the house today, but you did contribute to fighting human trafficking. We now return to our podcast with Ken McNeil. Right. No, well, I mean, I think most people are aware now that, uh, you know, well, many times in history, they've, you know, uh, people have thought that, you know, we're in the end days. Right. But there was one right. problem. Israel wasn't reestablished yet, wasn't on the map, you know. And uh, so since, uh, you know, May 14th, 1948, when yep. Israel was put back on the map, the, the time clock is ticking now. Because all of the scenario, the book of Ezekiel, you know, 38, the war of Gog and Magog, uh, Zechariah, you know, all, the prophets all talk about Israel being engaged in all these in these wars and their enemies, you know, attacking it. Um, and we're seeing that right now as the enemies are starting to rally against Israel. Prophecy is coming, you know, to life. Um, let me see. Like if we look at, I think it's a it's a very a very good prophecy relating to today. Is um, I'm trying to pull it up here in Zechariah, so uh, Zechariah twelve. You know, and it reads, you know, in twelve one, yeah. the prophecy of the word of Adonai concerning Israel. This is everything's concerning Israel today, isn't it? Yep. It says, here is the message from Adonai. Adonai meaning the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and formed the spirit. Like I said, this is a spiritual thing. He formed the spirit inside beings. He says, I will make Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a cup that will stagger the surrounding peoples. Even Judah will be caught up in the siege against Jerusalem. When that day comes, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone, for all the peoples who try to lift it will hurt themselves. And all the oh, yeah. Earth's nations yeah, sure. will be amassed against yeah. her. Isn't that happening right now, Chris? All the all the nations. You know, I am I mean we're told you know, we're we're told them yep. that uh, those who bless Israel will be blessed, those who curse those will be cursed. Um, and I'm just praying and hoping that Israel stays right side and, and keeps, you know, um, keeps Israel uh, yep. and stays on the side of God, you know. And it says, uh, again, that um, on that day, I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All left will hurt themselves. All the nations of the earth will be massed against her. When that day comes, says Adonai, I will strike the horses with panic and the riders with madness. I will keep watch over Judah. And I will strike, you know, blind the peoples. He's going to defend Israel. And um, this is something that, that people have to realize. And they have seen, you know, uh, the miracles that take place in Israel. When you have 22 to 23 Arab countries attacking a place the size uh, of New Jersey, a little less than New Jersey, and with overwhelming force, you know, uh, God supports Israel and defeats their enemies, but they're just not getting it. 
Then in Zechariah 13, you know, it talks about the good news here. It says, when that day comes, a spring will be opened uh, for the house of David and the people living in Jerusalem to cleanse them from the sin of purity. When that day comes, uh, the Lord of hosts says, I will cut off the very names of the idols of the land. You know, there'll be no more false gods or, or false religions. Yeah. And God will be the one that will be prominent. And then if we go back to Zechariah 12.10, I think the beautiful prophecy is it talks about the Jewish people who right now in Romans chapter 11, it says that they're blinded. Their eyes are blinded, their ears are blinded, their hearts are hardened. They will not know the truth about the Messiah, about Yeshua. Yeah. So the fullness of the Goyim, as the Gentiles, get to know the God of Israel. When all the people that are getting, that are supposed to know, you know, the God of Israel and Yeshua, when they learn about him, then uh, when the last one says, I believe, and uh, then Israel will become the head, not the tail. And God's going to wake up all the uh, all the people of Israel. It says in verses uh, 8 to 10 in Zechariah, when that day comes, and I will defend those living in Jerusalem on that day, even someone who stumbled like yeah. David. So the weakest would be like King David. And the house of David, like, like God. Yeah. Yeah. Israel is like God, the house of David, right? Um, the angel of the of the Lord before them. That day comes, I will seek to destroy the nation. Yeah. I will pour out. This is the best part. And I will pour out on the house of David, on those in Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and prayer. And it says, they will look upon mm. me, whom they pierced. Who is the one they pierced? That's Jesus, Yeshua. Israel's going to look up. They're going to cry for their Messiah when they're surrounded by their enemies. And then they're going to see, you know, a Yeshua coming to rescue them. It says, and then they will mourn for him in verse 10, as one mourns for an only son. It'll be like the bit on his behalf, for the bitterness of a firstborn son. Yeah. When that day comes, there'll be a great mourning. So I'm going to name off all the tribes. They're all gonna they're all gonna they're all gonna say it was you. It was just like um Joseph and his brother who threw him in the pit. His brothers threw him in the pit. And then when he rose up to be the second in command in Egypt, they didn't even know when they came for the famine, you know, the brothers yeah. came for the famine to try to, you know, yeah. see if they yeah, could get really. some food. They stood before their brother who yeah. they tried to kill. Yeah. And I, then he I revealed that. himself to his brothers. So it's the same thing that's going to happen in Israel. And that Joseph, yeah, Joseph is is also, uh, it's Messiah ben Joseph. It's uh, ben Yosef. Do you realize, Chris, that half of the prophecies in the Bible are addressed yeah. to the, the suffering servant, Messiah ben Joseph. And the other half uh, to King David, Messiah David. So that's the two come that the two visitations right there. The first time he came as the Lamb of God, as a suffering servant, as Joseph, Ben Ben Yosef. And now he's coming back as the Lion of Judah, as King David. So yeah. this is um this is the, the prophetic 
beauty that we are witnessing right now that Israel is just uh, an arm of God and he's going to defend them until his name yep. is known yep. his reputation throughout the whole world. Uh, it is some prevalent things to be aware of, to be conscious of, to, uh, you know, because scripture is alive and active, right? So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Death and double-edged sword. Oh, yeah. You know, and as you said, yeah. there's a lot of signs going on in Israel. This is drying up, you know. Um, there's actually there's waters. The, red, yeah. the Dead Sea is going to become pure again and teeming with life. Yeah. And they've got some, you know, springs coming sure up and are. pouring into the Dead Sea. You know, there's yeah. so many things happening. And there's a, a lot of bad news, too, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I do think that like half of the city will be overrun. Yeah. It says in prophecy that women will be raped yep. and and, uh, and people will be killed. You know? But that's before uh, God takes yeah. over. Yeah, you know? so uh, what, uh, this isn't in a particular yeah. address question, but it relates to biblical prophecy. Um, so what do you think about the concept of the blemish free red heifers last i had heard they have two of them that are coming up on age for uh potentiality to be sacrificed and that whole dynamic with the levite priest being trained and doing mock trials and having the garments and um having uh the land purchased on i think it's mount Mount of Olives that they have, like they have there, that fits the biblical narrative of where it has to be. Uh, what, what, uh, from a from your perspective, what would you say about all that? Like as far as biblical prophecy, yeah, no, definitely the getting ready for that, and uh, because there has to be a temple built, right, Chris? The Antichrist in the Book of Daniel it says that the Antichrist going to be mm -hmm. seated as, you know, and claiming that he is God, where? In the temple. And what does he say is going to happen? You know, uh, in Daniel 9, it talks about he's going to end the daily sacrifices. So the mm -hmm. sacrifices will be re reestablished. So this is another thing, too, on the timeline that we have to we understand. Um, it that, yep. uh, you um, know, we can get into the rapture if we want. Yeah, yeah, maybe that, maybe we could. Uh, yeah, not um, not right now, uh, but maybe we could figure out another right one now. to do where um, it's really focused on not the Israeli war, but the biblical prophecies and everything in there. Because I think there's actually a lot that we can talk about there. Right. And I wish we had the time to really dig into it in this episode because there's just so much to it. And then there's the Jewish Orthodox, and there's the Scripture, and what's what they currently have, and what that means for the time we're in. And I, yeah, I would love to get into that in a future episode with you, if we can. I mean, now that you, now that you know it's a uh, virtual recording. <laughs> so. I know when I was up my car company, but anyways, uh, yeah, so. They, they yep. have to, as you know, they have to be three years old, the uh, red heifers. 
in order to sacrifice, mm-hmm. which that, that leads us to a dilemma is because the the red heifers, yeah. there's been yeah. a break in time where there's no red heifers a long time. You know, to, and they use these red heifers to, as you know, preach on the choir, is to cleanse and sanctify, to set apart the temple. And, the, you know, um, by sprinkling the, red, the ashes of the red heifer around the temple environment. And since there's been a break in time, the problem is that you you become ritually yeah. unclean if you touch a dead body, you know, or any blood. So what happens when the priest, you know, uh, when he sacrifices the heifer in order to make it clean, he becomes a, and he can't, he can't help anybody with, you know, owning sacrifices. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 or something, you know? Yeah. So the way Judaism, the way that it solves this problem, you know, and it's found in Scripture, is that uh, the Messiah will be the one that will, that will build the temple, reestablish the temple, um, and will offer the red heifer. So they're getting it ready, and they're, they're expecting the Messiah to come back because yeah. he, he is the only one that is clean enough to sprinkle the ashes of the red heifer. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's... But that's just another that, that telltales that we're in the last yep. days. Yeah, uh, sure are. I mean... One scripture that I continually dart back to in my brain is a scripture that talks about the ten virgins, the five that were prepared and the five that were not prepared. So, um, and the concept that... Yeah, we have to be... Yeah, the the five that were prepared. So, one thing I I just re-realized when I was reading that story again, they were both resting and waiting for the bridegroom. They both had oil, but as you know, the one that was unprepared probably assumed they'd go straight to it. They'd get right in. There wouldn't be a long journey, so they didn't take extra. They weren't prepared. The other ones were wise, and they said, well, let me think ahead. Um, It's nighttime. It's, you know, We may not get there right away, so let's bring extra oil in case something happens. And when they heard that the bridegroom had opened up the feast and were welcoming people in, for lack of better words, you know, um, they said, okay, let's trim our lamps and we'll go. The other ones, the five that weren't prepared, said, oh, let us have some of your oil. And uh, the other five said, Oh, oh, we need this. Well, so the overlay I've taken to that uh, uh, situation is, say those five gave the other five some oil. Well, um, that'd be the that'd be the nice gesture to do, but then they're both lost. They're they're both unable to get to the feast. So because uh, the other one. It, they had to help the, uh, the people who weren't prepared to get there, and now neither of them got there. You know, in that figurative concept of what could happen in, in that story. So, 
and you can take the overlays uh, mm. for what they're worth to uh, the preparation of being ready for Christ. So, no, absolutely, and uh, you know we have to realize too that well, you know there's many different aspects of that, and just being ready for Christ, keeping ourselves holy. Without holiness, none of us will see God, and actually uh, being able to discern the time. Yep. You know, and being ready with food and water and trying to protect our family yep. uh, and not expecting, you know, uh, you know, we're not going to get into it. We're not expecting to be raptured, not being here, you know, and not being ready. Not having right. that oil. Right. Um, coming up, you know, uh, it'd be like the days of Noah. And uh, Noah built his ark uh, for about 99, estimated 99, 120 years. According to um, according to a lot of estimations, and the people mocked him. They laughed at him. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. And they they laughed at him until they were swept away. So yeah. we have to be ready for sure. You know, um, um, you know actually, um, we have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You would actually be the perfect person to ask this uh, question to. <clears throat> it's related to Jewish ortho like roots and Jewish things. So when I was doing research for an article focusing on um, the scripture that says, no man knows the, the day nor the time that of his return, I came across an interesting site that said that a particular verse was actually a, a Jewish idiom of the time and that it didn't mean no one was able to know when he was coming back but it actually meant that you could understand based on the seasons you were in based on what was going on in the world that you would understand how close you were to Jesus's return uh, could you maybe speak a little bit to that if you're if you're aware of? Uh, you know, I figured you you'd probably be the person to talk to about that. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, it, out of the same breath, it says, you know, that you don't know the you don't know the day or the hour, but you know, you do know the seasons. You'll be able to discern, you know, the the weather, the temperature by the signs in the sky. Mm -hmm. In the same way, we ought to know the season. And uh, that's right now, as we've been talking about, we're discerning the times by looking at the signs in Israel yeah. as the season. You know, uh, the redevelopment of Israel, reestablishment of it, um, all of these, the wars, the rumors of wars, Matthew 24 talks about, you know, the famines of feast. Uh, I mean, the famines and the disease and uh, the wars, rumors of wars, uh, all these things, the earthquakes, the floods, they're all happening. And they're happening more in the last hundred years than they've had in all of history combined. Yeah. So, yeah, we are definitely in the season. Um, and so it's definitely time to get ready. And you're right. You know, uh, it's not a default of, nope, we just can't know. No, why even try? It's, no, we can know, you know, and we should know. Yeah, yeah. For sure, um, for sure, we should definitely be prepared. So, um, all right, uh, Messianic 
Jewish perspective on end times. In Messianic Jewish theology, how does the concept of the last days, quote-unquote, align with biblical prophecies? And what significance do these prophecies hold for the Messianic Jewish community? Hmm. Let me, could you say that one more time? Yeah, sure. Uh, you want me to read it mm -hmm. all? Uh, okay. Well, no, actually, I think I, I think I understand uh, what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, well, basically, I think that most people, I, I think you would agree, um, is that, you know, Christianity has like a salvation type of a theology where they have said, okay, well, the end times, that just means, that, you know, we're going to heaven. Yep. Uh, and that is our focus. That is our goal is to check out, to get out of here. Yeah. You know, we all just want to be, you know, uh, in heaven forever, you know. Um, and actually, if Yeshua is going to come down here to earth and be in the temple, and if we're going to be up in the sky in heaven somewhere, we're not going to be with them, right. you know, forever that way. Um, uh, you know, there are steps, yep. you know, um, and so the Jewish, the Messianic Jewish is basically aligns with Judaism. And uh, there's a thing called tikkun olam, which means repairing the, the world. We're here to make this place a better place. Yeah. You know, Isaiah 65 talks about how, about the new temple, the, the new heaven and the new earth. Your uh, revelation talks about that. Yep. And we're going to be down here for a thousand years. You know, with with the Messiah, yeah, and uh, so this is the messianic perspective, is that we got to just try to make this a better place, you know, um, and not just check out, not try to say, okay, you know, I want to be in heaven forever. No, I want to make this world a better place, and so you know, uh, God God can reign down here, yeah, and it can be the Garden of Eden like He wanted to. He wants to dwell with here, so that that I think would be. Um, how I would say the messianic perspective is, mm -hmm. is that we're supposed to help God and co-create and make this a better world, get rid of evil, and get to know him, focus on holiness and getting to know our Father, yeah. God. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's see. Um, next question. Israel's reemergence. Considering the historical event of Israel's reemergence as a nation in 1948, how, from a Messianic Jewish viewpoint, is this seen as a fulfillment of prophecy, and how does it impact the Messianic Jewish understanding of biblical timeline? Yeah, well, I think we kind of um, spoke on that already, but I'll just reiterate yeah. it. Is yeah, yeah. That, um, yeah, the, t the clock started... In 48, yeah, you know, and uh, so that's the timeline as we're entering into, you know, the last of the last days is because Israel's back on the map. Yeah, you know. definitely. You know, prophetically speaking, that, that, that's a good thing. We're blessed to live in a, a time where we actually probably will see Yeshua come back. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, the clock yeah. ticking. Um, uh, so there is pre 
perceptions of how long we have and how, how to measure it and how to gauge the signs of the times. But honestly, I think the best thing we can do is just be aware of what season we're in, be prepared, and go forward there. So this, uh, this next question, I think we've, we've already talked about it, the scattered and regathered concept of uh, the Messianic Jewish perspective. Um, if you'd like, we can just jump down to 11, mm -hmm. the uh, evangelical yeah. theology. <laughs> well, actually, I, I wouldn't mind actually touching some more on that because about What's the regathering, up? if you don't mind. Um, what? Yeah, I, I actually think that there's more that it could be said. From, oh, you know, about the, the gathering. Oh, um, okay. All right. And actually, okay. the, yeah, yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to see some scriptures like from, all right. Um, yeah, sure. Because this is something that all of Israel and all of Jews, they, they just say, you know, we're, we're scattered. We're dispersed uh -huh. around the world. And everybody says next year in Jerusalem to be gathered up and brought back. This gathering, you know, it, like, again, it started in 1948. And yeah. then uh, Israel doubled in size, basically, when the Iron Curtain fell and the, and the Jews were allowed to leave Russia. Um, <laughs> you know, there was only like 3 million Jews in Israel, yeah. and there was as much in New York. Oh, wow. But when the Iron Curtain fell, they all went, it went to 6 million plus. But so anyways, this is prophetic. In Matthew 24, 31, it says he will send out his angels with a great shout, with a great shofar, and they will gather together his chosen people from the four winds and from one have, uh, from the end of one end end of heaven to the other. Yeah, this is a this is a very popular rapture verse. You know, the gathering together. You know, but what they don't know is that from a, a first century Jewish understanding, um, they wouldn't have thought of anything to do with the rapture. Yeah. What they would have thought of was like Isaiah eleven twelve, where it says, uh, he will hoist a banner for the, the nations, the goyim. He will assemble the dispersed of Israel and gather them. Remember, rapture means gather. Yep. You know, there is no rapture. There is a gathering. Um, it says, he will assemble the dispersed of Israel and he will gather the dispersed of Judah. From where? It says from the four corners of the earth. We just read that in Matthew 24. He's going to gather his chosen from the four corners of the earth. That's Isaiah saying he's going to bring Israel back to, he's going to bring the Jewish people back to Israel. Mm -hmm. And then Ezekiel 20, 34, says, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from out of the countries where you were scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and uh, with poured out fury. Ezekiel 20, 41. <laughs> And I will accept you with a sweet aroma, and I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the country where you are scattered. And, th and through you, I will manifest my holiness yeah. in the sight of the nations. <laughs> so this is going to be something that the nations go, wow, God is alive and well. All the Jewish people, you know, every year we say, L'shana haba b'yushalayim. Yeah. Next year in Jerusalem, the phrase that we sing at the Passover Seder, you know, everybody wants to go home. Yes. You know, that's the, the biblical mandate. So 
this this is what they would have understood when they heard that uh like i said you know in matthew 24 he's going to send out his angel the great shout yeah and gather together to show some people from the four corners um that's the actual physical gathering of the jewish people and bringing it back to israel yeah 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 for sure um yeah the, the gathering yeah. it's uh it's very unique because um the the background the story of how they came back together how they were reformed and more so how scripture many 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 decades before centuries before talked about this how it would happen so Amen. It's just it's so it's so incredible to see God, you know, just working. Um and I and again, there's nothing special, you know, so to speak, about the Jewish people and about Israel. Uh, God he says that he chose them. They're the chosen people, yep. but he chose them, he said, because they're the least among nations. Mm. You know, it wasn't because they were, you know, they're supposed to be better than anybody. They we're all God's children, but He's using Israel as a testimony to Himself. As we said, when He gathers them, you know the the nations will see His holiness, is because God is going to fulfill His prophecies. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah, it says like in the uh, day sixty six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The time is coming where I'll gather all the nations and languages. They will come see my glory. And then I will give them a sign. I will send some of the survivors. You know, he's he's going to bring, all, he's going to glorify himself. When everybody's turning against Israel, he's going to say, you know what? Uh, like Mark Worthen said, if a mother can forget her infant at the breast, I won't forgive is forget Israel. You know, um, they are the apple of his eye. And they are the testimony of God's existence to the world. So he is not going to be, uh, he, he's not going to let Israel fail. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, so if that was all you wanted to say on that one, we can move on to 11. Yes, sir. Thank all you right. for letting me visit that. Yeah, you're welcome. welcome. Uh, evangelical theology versus Messianic Jewish perspective. One of the differences, if any, between evangelical theology and Messianic Jewish perspective. How does the Messianic Jewish community interpret the events in Israel and their connection to end time scenarios? Yeah, well, I mean, again, that's another good question, too, because, uh, you know, we, we understand, we believe everything that Judaism does, too, that, you know, this is going to be ushering in the Messiah. You know, uh, they're all crying out for the Messiah because God promises that the son of David will come and deliver them from all their enemies. Mm. You know, and that's actually what was taking place in the first century as well. And that's pretty much why Israel missed the boat, you know, uh, because they were expecting this great deliverer to come and destroy, you know, to, to free them from the oppression of the Romans. Mm. But they didn't get that. They got the suffering servant instead. They got Yeshua who died for our sins. Yep. Uh, so now they're waiting for King David to come back. They got to say, 
So, but as a from the messianic view, you know, we know that it's going to be Yeshua that's coming back. You know, and as you read in uh, earlier Zechariah 12, verse 10, that they're all going to look upon him in surprise and they're going to mourn and they're going to repent, you yep. know, for the one whom they pierced, you know, and then God's going to forgive this sin. He's going to wipe away this sin, you know, and uh, the, the sin of not accepting the Messiah. And uh, and then he's going to, uh, you know, make Israel the head and not the tail. And um, mm -hmm. so right now, America pretty much, you know, has thrown the world as the head of the nations. But when the Messiah is seated in the temple, yeah, then uh, then the the dynamic will change. So so that's my answer, I guess, for eleven. Is that, you know we basically, in summary, uh, the the Jewish messianic perspective, you know, uh, it's tikkun olam, like we said yep. before. You know, of repairing the world and waiting for Yeshua to come and finish that job and make peace on earth. And we know it's going to be Yeshua. And it's just going to be so glorious when all of Israel embraces, you know, the Jewish, their Jewish Messiah that has been packaged as a not Jewish Messiah. Right. So they're going to see that he is a Jew, just like, and, and he's going to. No, like I, I remember uh, Pastor John Hagee one time. Uh, I just happened to see him on Daystar, and he was saying, <laughs> in his loud, you know, uh, way of presenting things, he said, "You know what?" He goes, "This Jesus," he said, "He he's not coming back as a Baptist in a plaid suit. He's coming back the way he yeah. left, as a Jew, <laughs> with CTs yeah. Yeah. and a okay. you know, and when he so." Yeah, no, it's... So that'll, that'll be nice when they understand that, yeah. that he's a Jewish yep. Messiah. Yeah. As well as one for all the nations. Yeah, and it's an important factor to understand because so many people think of, uh, forgive the terminology, but the white Jesus, you know. Yeah. Yep. But he is... Uh, blue eyes. Yeah, yeah, but he's not. You know, <laughs> and I think we we need to realize that and not right. pay attention to the Hollywood movies that point a certain paint a certain picture of him that he's really not. Yeah, I mean, they they really do a they do a disservice to people if that's their only exposure. Right. He's everybody's. Oh yeah, of course. That's of the beautiful course. thing. Yeah. But, uh, and when he comes back, everybody will embrace. Yeah. Him. Uh, agreed. Um, all right. So, Messianic Jewish interpretation. From a Messianic Jewish standpoint, how do you interpret the current events in Israel and their alignment with? Messianic prophecies and expectations. Now, we, we kind of already uh, talked about this in question seven, but if sure. you if you want to dig a little into that mm -hmm. a little more, then that would be, that'd be useful. Yeah, sure, Chris. Um, how do we interpret the current events in Israel? Um, reflections, implications. Um, well, as we're saying today is that... Um, you know, there's going to be, a, God is going to be in, in, 
he's taking the throne. And mm-hmm. this is bringing people to the knees, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's Satan. It's not necessarily God. That he He's allowing these things to happen because of our free will. Um, but the more you press into God, the more he can work with us. And this is what's happening is Israel is starting to press into God. Like we're saying earlier that, you know, it's today Israel is mostly a secular nation where, you know, the people have chosen to live their lives apart from God. Although that is very, it, yeah. it's very difficult to do, like I said, in Israel because, you know, Sabbath and the festivals and the kosher, you know, foods are there. So you can't really necessarily fall away from God totally there. But um, prior to the attacks, mm. it was much political division, like we said. Uh, you know what? 300,000-plus Jews traveled back to defend Israel. There is a unity like we've never seen in a long, long time. As Messianic Jews, we differ slightly yeah. from the traditional Jews, as you said, because because um, we're awaiting Yeshua. We all know this will happen, and uh, we're just yeah. watching these things unfold. So this is actually, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. As we bid farewell to this shared moment, our hearts resonate with sincere appreciation for your presence. The discussions today have woven a tapestry of insights and perspectives, and for that, we are truly grateful. In the spirit of Messianic Jewish traditions, we part ways, leaving you embraced by the enduring warmth of shalom. May peace accompany your journey until our paths converge once more. It has truly been a pleasure to feature you on the show, Kenny. I hold your insights and perspectives in high esteem and appreciate your wealth of knowledge. Till our next rendezvous, shalom, and may blessings grace your days abundantly. Well, there you have it, folks. You've just heard an interview with Ken McNeil. Ken is actually the president at United Messianic Jewish Assembly, UMJA. He also holds the designation as a Messianic rabbi, Uber slash Lyft driver, with Kehillah Kadash El Chara Messianic, where he's been awarded the 2018 Rider Preferred designation by Uber Riders. It's important to understand that that designation is awarded to less than 2% of all the Uber drivers in the U.S., so it's actually quite the honor. We hope you've tracked with us to this point and have enjoyed our time together listening to Ken McNeil's story, as well as the insightful and educational points of interest on issues pertaining to Israel that Ken was able to provide. As we embark on a new chapter of positive news for you, we express our heartfelt appreciation to Chris from Coffee on the Couch for illuminating our platform with hope and engaging conversations. May the inspiring stories shared today resonate with you. And as they say in the spirit of Messianic Jewish tradition, Shalom Aleichem, peace be upon you. Keep the positivity flowing and join us on our website for more uplifting content. Until our paths cross again, stay uplifted and continue to be a beacon of light in the world. Thank you for being part of this uplifting journey. Goodbye for now.